which leads me to wonder. Oh! Wow. <laughs> Sorry. Here we are back with the film file episode six, and you know your week has only just begun. Hi guys, this is Lee Ford here, uh, introducing you to the film show for film geeks by film geeks. And I'm joined this week by my usual sidekick partner, partner in crime. I'm his partner, thank you. Oh yes, of course we established that in episode <laughs> be one. a freeway. Well, so. I'm not happy with that kind of relationship. We can talk <laughs> yes. about it. Yeah, I'm Andy. I'm Scott. And welcome to uh, The Film File. Andy's been trawling the web for news, the latest gossip, uh, and everything film-related to bring your way. Just a little bit of housekeeping. Andy, you can now find us elsewhere than on iTunes and Spotify. Where else are we? We have now made it onto Google Podcasts as well. Fantastic. Which means that basically all the major streaming services for podcasts we are listed on. There is still the handy link of pod.link slash film file, which gives you the links for all of the different avenues that you can find us. But just search for film file on whatever service you use and you'll find us. Slowly but surely taking over the world. A little bit like Kevin Feige. But more of that later. <laughs> so Andy, latest news. Well, looking through the news over the past couple of weeks since we last recorded, and it's heavily been dominated by what we touched on last time when Scorsese had said his opinion on Marvel films. It's gone out of control. Let's be honest, it's getting a it's bit not ridiculous. The, the, the press by any chance, is it? The press need to grow up and stop this, because it's spiralled so far on, out of control now. Interviewers are seemingly desperate to get interviews with auteur directors to ask them, what do you think about comic book movies? Just so they can get another little soundbite and another little clickbait headline and start some kind of war. It's even gone to the people who are involved in the Marvel and DC films are now having to defend what they're doing. They don't need to defend anything. They are making films for entertainment, and some of them have deep underlying meaning some are just popcorn entertainment cinema is cinema and that's what we said last time it's like one person's cinema is not another one's Scorsese's entitled to his opinion I noticed Francis Ford Coppola had thrown himself into the ring on this one John Favreau gave a, an excellent retort to that one which is these guys made the films that influenced me I'm not about to get into any sort of debate with those guys but it, it started attacking to their opinion it's starting multi-party wars I mean you've got the auto directors who seem to be forming this like oh these are all trash entertainment then you've got like the Marvel involved people and fans going, oh, how dare you say that about anything that I love? And then you've got the DC ones who clearly think that Scorsese and Coppola can distinguish between Marvel and DC, turning around saying, that's why DC's better. It's like, you're not getting it. They're not talking just about Marvel. They don't see them as anything other than just comic book movies. They just see Marvel's the bigger name. Sorry to say it, DC fans, Marvel is the bigger name when it comes to films. It's got to the stage now that I'm just waiting for Spielberg. Well, he did come out, didn't he, at some point and say something uh, derogatory about, about the superhero movies. Uh, and I just want to uh, totally agree with you that, yes, it's about the superhero genre in particular and the way it's dominating cinema. I've got thoughts on it. I, you, know my, you know my love for, for Marvel. Uh, you know my love for, for DC. I'm a comic book geek through and through. My worry is now that we've, got a, we've had a, a bloodshot trailer one of the Valiant lines, we're getting, uh, anybody who's got IP in comic books, we're going to get comic book movies. This is the point that worries me. This is when it gets to burnout and then audiences don't go anymore. As long as both companies are producing interesting, interesting characters and interesting work, then it will continue. There will be a point when audiences don't go. The same, we said the same about Pixar years back. Ooh, Pixar, they had that golden streak and then, couple of things fell off the radar but they still make great work they still make great animation cutting edge and, and audiences love it but they pick the movies eventually there will be a marvel film where the audiences aren't attracted to it might be shang chai it might be the eternals it might be the next black widow it will happen where it's not a multi-billion dollar world success but that's the nature of cinema uh, and we've always had popcorn films we had Westerns, and I, I recently just I did a lecture about the Western and how the Western was a part of society for an awful long time, through the 50s, how it changed into the 70s, and then it's now, it became the fodder of TV, uh, uh, and, and now it's sort of burnt itself out, and it's become almost a speciality movie. But it happened to something that no one ever would ever think would, would go away, and it did. Eventually, superhero movies will, will change, will have to change, and, and will not necessarily disappear. But they replaced all the sword and sandal movies. They re replaced all those sort of big epic robe movies because that's what the spectacle is for now. 
and they're hugely popular. But there's always been B-movie flicks. And thankfully, yes, we love B-movie picks. But they're, they're on a grandiose scale at the moment. There's my 10 cents worth. I mean, when we were talking about it the other day, me and Scott, it was you who actually mentioned one of the comments that Spielberg had said as well in the past. Yeah, about how he... he... He didn't consider films on Netflix cinema, which yep. obviously Scorsese's latest work, The Irishman, is on Netflix. So the Scorsese telling this Spielberg telling Scorsese that's not cinema. Scorsese telling Marvel that's not cinema. Marvel influenced by all the Spielbergian blockbusters of the age. And then you it, got well, we're all just pointing fingers across the world. It's, it's easy news, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Ultimately, it's, it's, it's cheap, lousy journalism because it's easy news. Uh, it will go. It will disappear in a couple of weeks ago uh, in a couple of weeks to go and it will be as he used to say yesterday's chip paper and the thing is as much as like the journalists are just being hacked by like insisting on keeping this discussion going the problem is also with the fans yeah. who are keeping that tw- like that whole thing going by retweeting about it talking about it online starting to argue defense for or against like comic book movies just accept if you like comic book movies you like comic book movies you don't have to take someone else's opinion. Yeah, it's it, it's like people need to justify their own tastes because, like, an author is having a go at them. They're having <laughs> a go at you, for a start. They're having a go at something you like. And also, I did feel a bit sad for him because he's shut himself off from a whole medium that, all right, there's a lot of duds and copy-and-paste jobs in the superior genre as he was with westerns and epics. But within that, you've got little classics and little gems and things he's just completely missing out on through a weird bias. Well, Don't matter, does it? recently, Joker. Yeah. Joker. Which um, we spoke about last time, but we um, didn't get a chance to get oh, your it, thoughts on it. Well, it took me days to digest. It's um, a totally interesting sort of nihilistic, Scorsesian pastiche killing joke origin. <laughs> That's, That's a good exactly what I thought. What I thought. <laughs> it's kind of... Um, it's saved, It's completely saved by its ambiguities because it, it's allowed to have its cake and eat it too. And, and most of the criticism I've read or even had in the back of my mind as I left is almost completely explained away by its inherent ambiguities. So fair cop. Uh, and it's completely elevated by Joaquin Phoenix's performance. And I can. And I just think it's fascinating and hopefully a harbinger for more auteur-led mature comic book graphic novel entries. I think that's what I think, anyway. Okay. Oh, good. Well, you just like, like more, more ingredients to our menu, basically. Um, I mean, yeah. I, th- I think Joker's going to be a film that will provoke discussion for many and many a year. There'll always be people reviewing back to it. I think it's one that people will come back to 10 years down the line and reanalyse. I do, and I think, just to close it, uh, because we, could, we can still talk about, about Joker <laughs> for another half an hour, but to close it, it contradicts the arguments that people like Coppola and, and Scorsese are saying, because it does take you out of the genre, yeah, uh, and it does it does add something new to it, and that's what all filmmaking should be about. Marvel is what it is. Uh, there are there have been some misses for me, uh, a little bit too cookie cutter, as you said, with it. But it, if it pushes the genre forward, and the genre has been pushed forward, we said this about Deadpool uh, at some point. That's that's where we should be going. We we can't always stay in the safe zone. We, we need to be more daring. And we, we forget about things like Black Panther when Black Panther oh, came absolutely. across. Yeah. That changed uh, uh, changed perceptions on what we thought comic book movies should be. So it, it's an ever-growing genre. And, and while, it, while it lasts, I see it continuing to grow. Do you think it's more of a reaction to, like, they're scared, the power of the auteurs going, and it's more about the property? I think that's cinema in general, because yeah. you know, the same can be said for romantic comedies. Oh, the yeah. same for the said that, uh, said that The Irishman is going to end up on Netflix. Mm. Because uh, Steven Soderbergh's new film just hit, hit yep. uh, Netflix last week, Laundromat. I think it's the, the ever-changing nature of the public. I don't think it's to do with the films that are being produced. Yeah. If the public didn't want to go, they wouldn't go. Yes, you can say you're offering the, the same thing, so they're, they're being saturated by it. But if they're staying at home to watch what we, traditionally we would have seen on the big screen, that says something about, about the industry as much as, uh, and, uh, as much as it says about the audiences. Bond news, a little brief on Bond news. So a report came out this week that No Time to Die has definitely got plenty of time for shooting, given that they've apparently shot three different endings to the film. That's interesting. Bond's never done that, has it? Not that I can recall. And I, I know it's been done in other films across the industry. It's been a common thing. I mean, like in recent years, we even had like the Marvel films with Infinity War had different shots in the trailer that were deliberately put in there to misdirect. Well, Rogue One had it. As Rogue well, One it? had like yeah, a completely absolutely. different ending to what the trailers were suggesting. 
But Bond has always had like a definitive like story on each one and it knows exactly what it's doing. But this time they've got three different endings to throw people off, catch people out, which leads me to wonder, are they going to do something really daring? Are they going to actually kill off Bond? Interesting. Well, the the ending of Bonds have never been its selling point, isn't it? You always know he's going to stand over the arch villain. So it does suggest to me that something seismic or left field might be happening that they want to protect to some degree. And you you obviously arrive at his Bond on his way out because what else would have an impact? Like so he regenerates. I would I would love it. <laughs> And this is just speculation uh, based on fanboy theories and things like that. I would love it if the closing moments are him handing over the 00 license to another James Bond, thus justifying my whole belief that each of the Bonds is just a pseudonym code name for uh, that 007 agent. Do you think the theory is stronger than if it was explained, though? Because I think the speculation on these sort of things gives it more life than them just outright telling us that. Oh, I, if you know I don't care one way or the other, but I just <laughs> want to see people's heads explode who've been arguing with me for all these years, going, no, it's been confirmed. Oh, I'm right. Andy was right. <laughs> you and Tarantino. I don't think he will, though. I think he'll die another day. Oh. oh I'm going to move on quickly from that one. <laughs> Please do. So, um, you know what we don't talk about enough on this, this podcast? Remakes. Oh, right. Do, have we got a remake? Yeah, there's, on a, the way? there's a remake. Um, it appears that they've finished digging through um, all the 80s nostalgia. And now they're moving on to the 90s. And I know, I know it's been already in the pipeline for a while. And there's been a tease trailer, which is just like hinted that it's coming. The reboot of the 1996 teen classic witchcraft film, The Craft. You know, I've never seen The Craft. I know the it? story. I know. I know it's it. actually I not a bad it. film. It's not. It's so 90s it hurts. Though. Yes. It's not one that you could. If you watched it now, you'd be going. Oh, is that it? Because it is so firmly... It's entrenched within that teen horror kind of era that we were going through. Like, I, See, I, I always oh, liked, sorry, carry on. I always liked Heathers, but I don't think you could do it again. No. I think I think it, it's it's open to... Uh, with, with the current political scene, I think there's mileage if you're going to bring it back with the hashtag MeToo attached to it to talk about something that's got some depth. And horror is about the generation that we, that, that we live in. Uh, and, and it should always say something about current society. And I think that would be the way to go forward with it. I've also heard there's a Lost Boys remake in really? plan, but it has been talked about for years. Yeah. As long as they bring back the mullet. But with the craft reboot, I mean, clearly, with it being about witchcraft, the casting is going to be good. Mm. See what we did there. Uh, <laughs> if only this was a visual medium, as you saw me spit my teeth <laughs> 10 feet. And, and the film has now attached Michelle Moynihan, who's joined by David Duchovny, who um, I just don't think we see enough of. <laughs> well, he actually, you know, he ended up trying to have a movie career when he left the X Files <laughs> and did that classic thing of walking out of TV, being the big star in TV, trying to, to to launch a movie career, which didn't really work for him, and ended up back on TV. Can I really think of Evolution? Yeah, Evolution. That was a bit of a was that Ivan Reitman? I think I think it was. Yeah. Oh, what yeah, odd film. What yeah, it was. It was, it, it was basically a, an alien Ghostbusters. Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah. And it was so much fun. Yeah, it's okay. Um, Kaylee Spaney, Gideon Adlon, Lovey Simon, Zoe Luna, Nicholas Galazzini, and Julian Gray. All names which are on the tip of your tongue. When <laughs> yeah, when I thought about, about casting. Yeah, um, so aside from like David and Michelle, there's no one there that actually registers with me. But in the original film, none of the cast who were in there were really known at the time. Yeah. And that was the kind of film that made them. Yes. So maybe they are going the right route. It's a Bloomhouse production, and Bloomhouse generally do churn out reasonable. I'm a big, big uh, Bloomhouse fan. I think they are the Roger Corman of this generation. I'm intrigued Ooh. with this reboot. I mean, having seen what I mean, we were talking about Netflix before, but Netflix have redone Sabrina the Teenage Witch Which is um, for the new edition of Sabrina this week, and it takes completely original approach to what the original TV adaptation of the comic books. Oh, it was so comic booky in the uh, in the original version. And now it, it's, it really is a horror show. I think it's a great so show. So I can genuinely see the crafts getting a reboot, which could have that kind of feel to it. And if it's successful, I mean, I'd be happy to see a, a couple of films in it. Jack Ryan season two is due to start next still week. still got season one to catch up with, to be perfectly honest. Mm. Um, did you, have you seen? Unfortunately not. No. So, um, I saw the first one. Things. I saw the yeah. first one. It was good. Really, I mean, the first season blew me away. I ploughed through it within a matter of like days. I was just captivated by it. I thought that it, uh, Krasinski's portrayal of the character was absolutely spot on. Um, season two is due to start and already they're talking about plans for season three. One of the plans being that it'll be getting a new showrunner. Right. Cover, season one and two had um, Carlton Coos, 
and David Scarper behind the scenes. Cotton Coos is like the godfather. Him and Greg Berlanti of, of, of American TV, aren't they, at the moment? Yeah. Yeah. They're attached to everything. Well, for season three, they've got Paul Schering, who was the creator of Prison Break. Oh, okay. Now, as long as that's the creator of Prison Break and not the person responsible for Prison Break season two or three, I'm happy with that <laughs> because Prison Break was quite a fresh original yeah, kind of show. Yeah, uh, was kind of a little bit edgy, a little bit different. It, it had some great like ideas in there and like it really played out well. As like For, for most shows that run to like, 20 episodes or more, usually you get bored halfway through because there's filler, but it didn't feel like there was any filler throughout the whole of season one of that. So I'm intrigued the, to the see... The filler came with two and three. Yeah, they basically just repeated what they did before. Is Krasinski your favourite Jack Ryan out of interest? Yes. Who was your previous... Alec Baldwin. You know what, I, I, I think it's Baldwin. Yeah, th- I think I think it has to go he to Baldwin. He had that slightly more everyman quality. Yeah. I didn't see that, Chris Pine as I, I didn't see I Chris, didn't Pine. Saw the Chris Pine. I saw the Chris Pine one. It just felt generic action film. Didn't fit. I mean, like you say, the everyman quality is what's important. I think that's why Krasinski works so well, because he's he's... got that everyman feel to him. He was perfectly put in there, and you don't, for one second, believe that he's some kind of action hero, even though he has got the military background as a character, but he's more like an analyst. He was intelligence, wasn't he? He was an yeah. analyst, and that's why he came in, if I, if I remember going back to the Alec Baldwin one mm. with Hunt for Red October. So I, it's a it's a show that I'll be happy to see run for multiple seasons, as long as they can keep the level of skill that they put into making season one. And we'll find out with season two. On that recommendation, I will continue to watch it. Uh, did you watch Watchmen? Uh, no. Who watches The Watchmen? And, and you've not watched it either yet, have you? No, no one. Apparently well, no one. There <laughs> <laughs> won't be any spoilers, but um, Watchmen might also see a change behind the scenes with showrunner for season two. Oh, if not it, Lindelof. If it, gets, if it gets greenlit. Lindelof has suggested himself that if another season gets greenlit, that someone else might do the take. And in his words, I felt that if these nine episodes end without feeling like we've completed a story in the same way that we feel that the end of season of Fargo or True Detective, you know, then it's not really Watchmen. It's just another continuing show where you have to come up with a cool cliffhanger for the finale. So he's deliberately made this a one season story that doesn't have a cliffhanger and doesn't say, oh, you have to find you have to come back next year. It's also not my story, right? I appropriated it. And so the idea that someone else could come along and do another season of Watchmen, that's really exciting to me, too. I would watch that out of that. These nine episodes are sort of everything that I have to say at this point about Watchmen, and then we'll kind of go from there. So he's not ruling out coming back for season two, but he's basically saying, this is the story I wanted to tell. I want to see what other people can do with this. And I like that idea. I think it's very bold. Um, I, I like Lindelof. I know he got a lot of slagging for Lost. I, do, I can't see where you could have gone with Lost because there were so many fanboy theories. I thought Leftovers was a fantastic show, uh, beautifully written, enigmatic, in its approach, uh, it didn't answer questions the way that, that Lost tried to round everything up and was better for it. It took some twists where I thought it would have taken some turns, but but that's it felt like the creators of the show said what they wanted to say. I'm really looking forward to Watchmen. The reviews, I, reviews I've read so far are the series of the year. It's it's visually stunning, politically motivated. Yeah, and, and so it should be. And dark and that makes it, to me, a fitting continuation of the comic. Because it's important to note it is a continuation of the comic, not a continuation of Zack Snyder's film. Right. Because there's little nods and hints towards things that were in the comic. Like the squid? Like Squid Monster. Oh, my. Ooh. Which, obviously, if, it, if people have only ever watched the film, will be going, huh? What have I missed? To be fair, I, I, I thought it was as reverent as it could have been Zack Snyder's Watchmen and I didn't yeah. grudge it too much. Oh, I, I thought it. that what he did with the ending worked beautifully. Yeah, for, for no, the no self-contained film. Yes, you definitely, yeah. Can I make a suggestion, chaps? Absolutely. After we get a chance to all see Watchmen, we talk about it next episode. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. A little bit more depth and let's do a retrospective deep dive into Watchmen. Yeah. Oh, it gives me an excuse to finally watch it. <laughs> Tickle your watches. That's all I need. That's all I need. DC News. Scott, Wonder Woman 84. Mm-hmm. I believe Patty Jenkins has revealed who Pedro Pascal is going to be playing. Apparently he's going to be Maxwell Lord. Uh, how familiar are we all with Maxwell Lord? Well, I remember him from Justice League uh, when he was a, a comedic character. And that's the Justice League, which was the uh, Keith Giffen, J.M. DeMatteis and, and Kevin Maguire mm. take on it. And Maxwell Lord was the uh, industrialist brought in to bring put the Justice League back together. If you've never read them, guys, what are you doing? It's a fantastic read. But then he became a much darker character in in the DC universe. It's the kind of the period that I sort of dropped out of comics for a little while 
uh, I was more, mostly caught up with Vertigo at that point. So I only know of where they took the character and uh, just the reverence for me that I, I liked his original approach for it. But I know he became much a darker character within. He had such a great context. heel turn is the term in wrestling when you go you go bad guy on a on a dime where he kills quite a beloved DC character leading to Wonder Woman to viciously murder him in cold blood. Snapped his neck or something, didn't you? Which is a very interesting potential ending for this sequel, uh, especially how Man of Steel went down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Have we seen Maxwell Lord in any other DC incarnation? Uh, only, you know, you Smallville, I believe he appeared. And, right. Uh, I think he was alluded to in a season of Supergirl. Uh, I'm behind on Supergirl, so... You can write to us at Filmfire <laughs> and answer that question for us. I think he was like a season one throwaway, vaguely might be a villain. Oh, yeah, I think so. I remember that. I think yeah. that was yeah. season one on Supergirl. Like. I mean, I'm not familiar with the character, but from what I've read, apparently he's got a, like a sort of super persuasion kind of power that he can manipulate people. Yeah. It's, it might be just an area they're going where I'm not too familiar with that. I always took him as just more of a um, sort of double agently, dark, subversive type, manipulating superheroes for his own ends. But uh, yeah, I well, wonder who he could be reminiscent of in today's world. <laughs> Again, that's on a, on a postcard <laughs> to the film file, folks. Um, and also, Matt Reeves as Batman has now got some confirmed castings. Oh, Zoe Kravitz for Catwoman. Oh, incidentally, a second time playing Catwoman. Yeah. And uh, provided the voice, I believe. Yeah, in Lego Batman. Uh, and uh, Paul Dano. Uh, Dano? Dano? Yeah, Dano. That's interesting who I always find him a very interesting and odd player. Yeah, I, I, exactly what elements should be brought to Riddler. He's not the Joker, and he's certainly not. He's a, he's a clever villain if done right. And we I think we talked about this the other week. I've just read the Scott Snyder run Year Zero, mm-hmm. where that's how you should do do the Joker. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And it's been alluded to that it's the uh, uh, long Halloween, isn't it, is, yeah. is the take on it. So interesting take on it. Mm. Uh, looking forward very much to this. There are bits and snippets, but I'm looking forward to that picture of, of our new Batman. Thankfully, I've not seen much blowback in terms of ignorant, racist sort of volume. Catwoman's uh, There's been a woman. handful of it on on the worst aspects which, of hashtag film. Which, Twitter. of course, she has been at least a couple of times before, so I thought we might That's have been past yeah. this. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And isn't she Hispanic in the in the, uh, in the comics? Is yeah. It hinted that she's Hispanic? Yeah, it's, it's, an, it's an ongoer, isn't it? Yeah. As it usually is. Oh, in other words, let's move on. Yeah. There was, one, there was one person on Twitter who like who had a rant about it, and every time someone was saying, uh, well, Eartha Kiss, she wasn't playing Selena Kyle. <sighs> Yeah. How do we know? She was never referenced as Selena yeah. Kyle. <laughs> and ev- everyone who argued back with him, he just went, not Selena Kyle, not Selena Kyle, not Selena Kyle. Holly like, Berry oh, wasn't really? Selena Kyle, but she was still Catwoman. I like, I like yeah. that she yeah. wasn't Catwoman, to be honest with you. Yeah, well, yeah. but <laughs> Let, Let's skip past um, memories fine. of Halle Berry. Yeah. I think it's good casting. Isn't it just a matter of time now with all the DC things that um, a certain um, person who's slowly dominating the world gets given a DC project as well. Oh, well, yes. Well, it comes around to the fact that Kevin Feige now runs the world uh, from <laughs> a, secret, the world? Uh, a secret lab somewhere underneath Beverly Hills uh, <laughs> and has just taken control of not only the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but he's taken control of the, of the comics as well. You think he's, he's got like a, some sort of sports almanac from 20 years yeah, time? Yeah, yeah. He's yeah. just like, I'm going to retroactively create all the hit films. <laughs> I, I think it's interesting. I mean, he's, he's basically got the title that Joe Casada had. Uh, Joe Casada sort of moved sideways into, into a creative role. It's going to be interesting to see what it does to the management of, of, of Marvel Comics, uh, especially uh, a certain one of the owners of it can see being ousted, but that's only my my theory. And it looks like the head of Marvel Television, Jeff yeah, Lowe, has yeah. now been sort of moved along by the looks of it. It looks like he's resigning sometime next month. A good stewardship, though. I think he got a lot of decent... He did, and I, it's funny enough, I've just watched the second season of Punisher. That's how far behind I am. Uh, and whether it, it's, it's bold that it doesn't look like DC's TV versions of their characters or they've gone their own route, the, the fact that, that most of the time it's to keep them out of the mask and not to refer them as, as characters. But it looks like it's coming to an end. Uh, Cloak and Dagger's just been cancelled this last yeah. few days. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.'s over, isn't it? I think yeah, that's yeah, finished its run. Yeah. And that that proved itself to be a, um, a laster. But, I'm, I'm you know, with, with what Kevin Feige's doing, we have faith. You can't argue with the Kev. Oh, yeah, he, he's, get, he's been given, like, so much power over, like, the Marvel 
enterprise he's been given like you know oh we want you to do some stuff with star wars as well where's it going to end and and does this guy sleep <laughs> has he got clone chambers that he's running off clones of himself to do this work for him is that going to be the plot line of the star wars franchise that he's building up is it, <laughs> is, is it the job we all want though as we it like, is, it's, it's, and oh, to it, job we a cup of coffee we get asked four different franchise fixing <laughs> questions of like what do i do with terminator well you could just do that Thank you, Kevin. Spiggy. Yeah, like, <laughs> Spiggy knows. But you know, it, uh, it's just the fact that it's love, isn't it? He, and that's why they've been successful, isn't it? And, and, and DC sort of floundered. He he loves that world. He loves those characters. I, I did a little bit of IMDb research on it, and he's his relationship started with the films when he was an exec producer, which is basically yeah. a powerless role. But he was there through thick and thin. And when they made those decisions to become their own studio. He was there at the beginning and his stewardship has led it onto the onto the machine that it is. You can't not what the guy's done. It's absolutely unique in, in not so much in television, that sort of things existed, but to turn that into a film franchise uh, uh, the way he's done is, is absolutely absolutely unique. And, and, and I think it's as simple as he's always had his finger on the pulse of what Marvel is and what the audience want. Yeah. No more beyond that. It's yeah. just staying true to both sides of the equation, isn't it? And let's hope he brings that vision uh, and brings that love back to the comics because, you know, it's it's a hard industry now, the comics industry. You know, most people know Marvel by the movies, not necessarily the comics. And it's if you can join it up a little bit, if you see the connection, you, you know, the comics can't go away and just be replaced by a cinematic universe. They still have to be the heart of it. And, and hopefully, for me, that's what I feel is going to do. Well, that was going to be my question to you guys, because obviously I'm more uh, of a DC guy in terms of going into the books and stuff. Uh, do you think it's going to be... Is is this a move for better synergy across book, film, TV? Uh, it, it would seem so. I mean, over the past few years anyway, the characters in the comics have kind of slowly morphed to be more representative of the ones on film. And even though, like you say, that's a separate Earth and this is a different Earth, it's clear that they are drawing inspiration from, like, the films mm. to work into the comics to make, and you can understand it because if people haven't read comics, they want to have something familiar if they first go to a comic. Yeah, so absolutely. they want someone who watches like an Iron Man film to go, oh, I'll pick up Iron Man. What's oh, wow, that looks just like the Tony Stark in the films. I'm yeah. happy with this. I'm a Batman from the Batman animated series, so I wanted to see characters that resembled that, and that was my in, and then yeah. you get into the different interpretations thereafter, don't you? Like, I, I <clears throat> yeah, it, They've only recently done a folding in of all the universes with the Secret Wars a couple of years ago. Mm. I think it might be a bit too early for them to fold it all in again to make the film universe the comic universe. But they are also doing titles which are drawn from the film universe, as well as they're doing like the, there's been the comic series based on the Spider-Man video game. Yeah. So they are doing them as alternate take stories oh. to make that familiarity. But yeah, I mean, I, I do think it will bring some more synergy in. What I don't want it to be is that when a film's coming out by Marvel, that all of a sudden all the focus in the comics is to do with that character. Yeah. I want them to continue doing the comics as they are and not just like, you know, pander to the film crowd. Because us comic book crowd are a completely different crowd to the people who gave Avengers Endgame two and a half billion yeah, I mean, our our history is Gwen Stacy dying, and, and our history is the uh, Kree Scroll War. You mm. know, that's our history, and it would be nice to see interpretations of those. Uh, as long as, I, and I hope, what happens because Casada did that initially when he he revitalized Marvel. Yeah, and he brought people like Kevin Smith into write, and he 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 brought some some really interesting names into the fold from the indie world. As long as he he, he does that and keeps the, the door open for, for good creative work mm-hmm. and and not lose sight that, that the, the comics are their own thing and they should be good creators involved, uh, which seems, to, for me, it's become a little bit muddy, a little bit samey. I know you've got J.J. Uh, uh, Abrahams and, and Son writing a Spider-Man title, but that's interesting. Mm. That's marketability. But when, when, when Casada came in, he gave it a really fresh coat of paint and that fresh coat of paint's been a little bit jaded over the last couple of years. We saw it with Fantastic Four, for instance. Yeah. So let's hope now it's all back under one roof as well, more or less, that we can do interesting things. Related to Marvel, but more to do with the Disney aspect, the Disney-Fox merger has now created some concerning elements. Are you a fan of like seeing like classic films brought back to the big screen for one night by local cinemas and things like that? Yeah, indeed I am. Yeah, you know, the great experience is a chance to either relive films that you saw as like in your youth 
or films that you never had a chance to see on the mm -hmm. big screen. Well, one concern that's come from the merger is that Disney films rarely get classic one-off showings. They only get re-releases when Disney themselves do like 25th anniversary, like one week kind of releases. So they've got all the control over them. That's because Disney vault all their films and won't let cinemas pay for one night showings. Because normally it's a flat rate fee. You pay like £125. You put it on there. However many tickets you sell, that's your profit. Fox films now fall under that banner. Mm. And in the US, cinemas in the US who, who normally do like classic screenings are already finding that titles such as Alien, Fight Club, Princess Bride and Die Hard are unavailable because Disney have vaulted them. Oh, that's interesting. Well, like, you know, Die Hard uh, did a Christmas run a couple of years ago, yeah. didn't it? You know, it released as a Christmas film for that for the season. Now, whether this will track through to the UK where most of the classics are held by Park Circus and they have more, like, distribution rights, sometimes they have to ask the studios. A lot of times they can just give the flat fee and send it out. Remains to be seen. But it certainly is a concern that classic screenings are basically just going to end up being Warners and Universal films at this rate. Well, we'll have to dig out our Universal list and see what classic films we can we can hang on to very quickly. Obviously, nowadays, you could equate that to they want to guide people towards Disney Plus and their streaming sites. But what, what was the original thought process before faulting it? Or is it a recent development? It's, it's of... not a recent development. And Disney films have always been harder to get hold of on classic screenings because Disney kept the rights to them themselves, never let any other companies do the distribution for like one-off shows. And like I say, they want to be able to control that if they do a re-release of it, it's a marketed re-release no. to get more money coming in. Whereas like cinemas like to go, well, you know, we work at one ourselves, which does Tuesday night classics. Mm. And it's simply Tuesday nights are quite quiet. Let's get some more footfall in on the Tuesday nights. And that's why it usually is one-offs in weekdays, just to bring a bit more energy in and a bit more, oh, you had a chance, you'd missed this one. Here's a chance to see it. Now that Disney own all the Fox ones, I do think that the streaming service has a lot to do with it. Mm. They want to have that exclusivity. You can see this only on our streaming service. And that's one of my concerns about the whole Disney Plus process that's getting launched is that it's going to limit your options for being able to see so much material yeah. and you have to pay Disney in order to do it. I think that's why the Netflix Irishman deal in terms of showing it in theatres excited me because that was always my fear as each studio wants its own streaming platform. Are we gonna? Are we slightly trying to change the whole exhibition process? Yeah irrevocably so hopefully there's a bit of two-way yeah an interesting thing is what's going to happen to the content that's on netflix like like daredevil like luke cage like jessica jones are we going to, is that going to head over to disney plus or are we was it going to stay because netflix i i would imagine paid for it yeah they were they commissioned the work interesting times there's, there's been a rise in rumours that some of those characters are coming back into the Marvel. Yeah, movies. I've seen those. For now, they'll stick with in the rumour file oh, until we get yeah. something. Well, given that, like, what I mean, most recent one was, um, oh, Punisher's going to get used with, like, with the same, like, actor and characters and following on from the story. Yeah, but that came from um, We Got This Covered, which is notorious oh, right. clickbait. Yeah. Uh, like, one of the close sources. No. Yeah, there are no close sources. Anything which is speculating the moment is just like fanboy speculation. Yeah, there's no sources. Until there's something official, I'm not going to pay attention to anything. Apparently, Kevin listens to the show. Kevin, it would be good to see you take control of the Daredevil series, <laughs> Jessica Jones. And keep it going. Yes, please. I mean, we're going to be talking about Dark Fate, uh, but James Cameron's been talking about possible plans for the Terminator franchise, saying that Dark Fate serves not only as a standalone story, but also as part of a new trilogy, because that's the key word where whenever you mention Terminator, everything has to be the start of a new trilogy so that when it doesn't get greenlit, they can reboot it again. I'm, I'm not sold. I'm I, not sold. I think that quite nicely uh, turns us into a corner of, uh, of, of discussion into our regular film reviews. And we've got two, which normally we only give you one, but this time we're going to give you two reviews. And while we're on the subject of it... He's the most lethal Terminator ever created. How do we stop this? It will take all of us. He has found us. We choose our weapons. And then we take it down. Terminator Dark Fate. Andy, you have seen Terminator Dark Fate. I have Dark seen Fate. Terminator Dark Fate. Now... Let's let's be clear here. I went in with low expectations. 
Since Terminator 2, every Terminator film has been declining in standard. So I was going in just thinking, you know what? Let's give it a shot. Let's see what it's like. And I'm really pleased to let you know that it fulfilled all my expectations <laughs> of being a disappointment. Oh, well, I mean, let's say it's executive produced this time by Cameron himself. He provided the story concept outline, which then was passed to Goya and his team. David Goya, mm-hmm. uh, Billy Ray was on it, and directed by Tim Miller. Tim mm-hmm. Miller, which, you know, Tim, Mil- Tim Miller, like I'm usually reasonably impressed with what he does. And direction-wise, you know, he, he's still got an eye for vision, like for vis- good visual shots. He, he knows how to, like, frame things. But the story he was working with was garbage. Um, It starts off promising. We see another glimpse of the now different future war. Uh, We get to see a bit more of that dark future. And the story itself does like kind of explain how like time had changed, but like a new timeline had set up. But it quickly devolves into just a series of action sequences that we've seen before. Freeway chases while one's in like a broken down truck and one's on a big juggernaut behind them. Helicopters... I just seem to be ticking some boxes yeah, there. It, it is what literally. I've seen before. Halfway through the film, I was blatantly aware that I was watching Terminator 2 again, but done badly. And don't get me wrong, Linda Hamilton returning as Sarah Connor, she's amazing. She is the, the only thing worth focusing on in the whole film. It makes it clear, and I've seen this like written in another review somewhere Arnie was never the important character in the Terminator oh, film. Oh, absolutely not. She was. And her character being back in it made it feel, yeah, it's a proper sequel to the second film. But at the same time, she's the only good thing in amongst a load of things that we've seen tried, tested and failed so many times. And I just couldn't feel any care for where it was going. By the time it came to the final action sequence and the final like battle between them all, I was like, I'm not bothered anymore. It's a it's a misstep. It's a huge misstep. And maybe it's proof that maybe that franchise hasn't got legs at all. Cameron's been saying after each one of the films came out, he'd always promote each of the films and say, oh, yeah, it's, it's great. But then when he came out, well, actually, I don't consider it a true sequel. He's been saying that this is a true sequel because this is his story. But I just don't think that even he being involved has made anything made anything good out of it. What worries me is that sounds like word for word the review of Terminator 3, Rise of the Machines. Yeah. And then three movies on, we're saying the same things over and over again, relentlessly. It's it's one of those things, there's only certain ways it can play out. Whether you try to do something broad and different, like Terminator 4, for instance, which, yeah. to give it some credit, it did try to, to do something different with the franchise, even though it, it didn't make it and, and failed. It, visually, it was, it was a stunning film. It just liked and there was internal politics as to why it went all over the place. Genesis doesn't even exist in my world. Turn out a jellyfish. I want to be in your world. <laughs> yeah, it's, it was a, an obscure timeline uh, film. So, yeah, disappointing to hear because uh, it did look like it was a return. But it's one of those things we've, we've talked about, we've, we've touched upon in the last few weeks. It's, it, it's very generational Terminator. It's the nostalgia thing. Yeah, it is. And we, we keep coming back to this week in and week out, you know, reboot and, and, and remake Madness. But it's a, another another attempt to, to revitalise a franchise that may be better off staying in the past and, and living up to its former glories of, of Terminator and T2. Or even just a after enough time, obviously, a proper reboot where we don't have to honour Arnie, we don't have to honour Linda Hamilton and Edward Furlong and this original timeline. You can just create a whole new story with the same sort of element. And that's what I tried to do with Genesis, though, wasn't it, to a degree? It's important to note as well that... It was like a fan film best of wasn't it they had to be a liquid terminator they had to be Kyle Reese and that's what this one suffers from because now that I mean you'll have seen from the trailers the terminator has like internal skeleton shell but it has the liquid terminator on the outside and they operate independently and it's rubbish because we're just seeing the liquid one doing exactly what the T-1000 did whilst the other one's doing exactly what the T-800 did nothing new you've just combined the two for no reason at all. And there's moments that it merges back together to fight. And you're just like, well, why would you merge back together if you can do these two things independently? Why would you just not attack from two sides? Do you think, because obviously James Cameron successfully transitioned it into an action franchise with Terminator 2, do you think it'd be almost more interesting or better if it returned to its sort of more sci-fi thriller... It was almost a sci-fi horror, wasn't it? Yeah. To, to when it first came out. But it felt fresh then. We'd not seen... Well, we'd seen similar sort of stories. We'd seen time travel opuses before and we'd even seen familiar elements in it but it was told in a fresh way yeah. it was told 
kind of balls out uh, and it was a fun ride but it had some it had heart to it and I think subsequently that got lost even in T2 for me got lost yeah. the heart had started to go it was the first re- replaced by a spectacle I think Cameron works better on a smaller budget yeah I think it makes him a tighter filmmaker and when he's got all the toys doesn't necessarily mean he's, he's going to make a great film I think we're going to f- be having this conversation whenever about the Avatar sequels yeah. I mean, the interesting thing, I mean, I've got a little bit of news on the Avatar sequels that whilst it was reported that it was going to be in HFR, Cameron's now said it's not going to be in HFR. It's going to be in 3D because he still thinks it's a thing, but he's going to use what he calls VFR, variable frame rate, where when the action intensifies, the frame rate rate will intensify slightly, not go straight up to like the jarring HFR one, but just increase slightly to give it a different kind of intensity feel and make the vibrant action stand out. He says that it works better because the 3D, sometimes when there's a lot going on, in normal standard definition, it becomes quite difficult to follow. Whereas the HFR makes it clear, but doing something intermediate and just like seamlessly integrating it into it, that intrigues me. It feels like a party piece, but when he he introduced Avatar, 3D was was something that was still relatively new and he brought something completely... I trust him with the use of technology. I'm not trusting trusting with the story because Terminator Dark Fate has shown that he... He is basically telling with Terminator Dark Fate the same story that he told in Terminator, which was then repeated for Terminator 2. And it's clear that he's only got one story to tell in that whole franchise. My biggest problem with Terminator Dark Fate doesn't know whether it's serious or a comedy okay it starts off quite serious and for the first half of the film very very serious and it's like oh this is terminator one this is terminator one it's like really serious and dark and then arnie comes into it and then there's little arnieism quips and jokes going into it and you're like this is not on balance with the rest of the film why are you doing this and that was the point of the film that i was i just checked out i was like you know what just finish this get it out the way now do we think it's going to find an audience? Is the box office receipts looking good for it? It's not no. looking great. Is it, is it tracking well? No. And that could be the big decider, more so than uh, an apocalyptic future. You uh, know the what they should do? Go back to taking it to TV, like they tried with the Sarah Connor Chronicles, which was, was short lived, didn't find an audience, but it was pretty good. Yeah. That I think that the Terminator franchise on TV will give more opportunity to tell more creative stories within that framework rather than a two-hour film that has to do, tick the box, have we had like a Jeep? Tick the box, have we had a helicopter? Have we got Sarah Connor toting a giant gun? Okay. We've got a new style Terminator. Uh, Mr. Cameron, Netflix on line one for you. (laughs) Um, Spielberg on line two to tell you you're not doing cinema. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so that's Terminator Dark Fate. Not the strongest review from Andy there, but we have both seen Zombieland 2, which again feels like Let's bring back a sequel slightly past its sell-by date, mm-hmm. but turned out to be a lot of fun. Welcome to Zombieland. We're a family. Dysfunctional, sure, but what family isn't? Is this your dad? My sister is gone. She picked up the boy. He's from Berkeley. Berkeley! Boom! Yeah! No! We ride it, Dawn. There are zombies approaching. Oh, old man is so tiny. Big, tiny. She is adorable. <laughs> Zombieland Double Tap. Andy, give us a lowdown on the plot. Plot-wise, it's ten years later, and Tallahassee, Columbus, Wichita, and Little Rock are still surviving in Zombieland. The film opens with them basically wanting to go into the White House and occupy the White House in an immensely fun opening sequence that, once again, we get another Metallica track. However, Little Rock, now that she's getting older is starting to feel the pangs of love and wants to find that companion and she feels that she's stifled by the group. So when the group kind of splits and she disappears off, they go on a road trip to try to find her because she's eloped with a hippie. Along the way is where the fun takes place and along the way is where Woody Harrelson just becomes an utter, utter legend. (laughs) (laughs) I I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it for all the same reasons that you did. It felt unnecessary. Completely unnecessary. It felt derivative of what it did in the first one. It's it's too late for the zombie genre because it's moved on so much. This is pre-Walking Dead, even though there's a nice little nod to Walking Dead in it. And a nice little nod to, to zombies in particular, the zombie franchises. What I did enjoy about it is being back with these characters because they are the heart of it. And that's the reason 
we should have, if, if for any other reason, a, a Zombieland sequel. There's so much fun with those characters. They play so well against each other. There's such different personalities. The cast are great. And even when you get the um, pseudo versions of them that you will have seen in the trailer, it plays some of the gimmicks that those characters have had against each other. And it leads to some hilarious rules to survive. It does. I, I, I found myself groaning and smiling at the, at the same time. Groaning not in a zombie kind of way, but groaning anyway at this feels like a forced sequel. Because story-wise, it's all over the place. It, it never it never knows where it wants to go. It has some some slight missteps and, and just odd turns in it, which even though it's it's reminiscent of what it did in the first film, the, the road trip idea, it just sort of went a little bit all over the place. But it keeps coming back to the characters, keeps coming back to the snappy dialogue um, and the fact that these these group of actors work really well together and play off each other very, very well. Emma Stone, of course, wasn't a big star when, when that came out. She wasn't an Oscar-winning act, actor at that point, and now she's a, she's a big star. So you got the feeling that they came back out of a, out of love of, of being those those guys and, and, and playing in that world again. And that comes through if, if of course, it, it feels derivative of, it, of itself. But I enjoyed the hour and a half, however long I was in there, and smiled all the way through and chuckled at the right times and walked out and thought, that was thin, but I had a good time with thin. It reminded me in ways, and uh, bear with me on this one, of Gremlins 2. <laughs> yes. The, the Gremlins 2 knew how daft a concept Gremlins was, so did a sequel that played on that kind of daftness and was very self-referential and worked so much better because of it. Zombieland 2 knows how daft Zombieland was and it knows that it's been done to death, that whole concept. So it's just going, you know what? We're going to have fun with it. And it even references like some of the quotes that the characters say that are so 10 years ago. It knows exactly what it's doing. If the script is playing to that, like, okay, yeah, maybe we shouldn't be doing this sequel, but we know we shouldn't be doing this sequel. So yeah. we're just going to have fun with this instead. And it works because it doesn't try to be anything clever. It just wants to just be, there's Woody Harrelson again. There's Jesse Eisenberg. Have fun. So if you want to go back to the familiar, you want to go back and have fun in Zombieland, this is the perfect film for that. Did you know they tried to do a TV series at one point? Absolutely. Well, uh, well, I never watched it, though. Did you I, watch it? No. I don't think anybody did. Anybody that's, why. Did. that's why they, they tried to do a TV series. <laughs> I always felt the first one felt like exactly what it were, like a few episodes of a potential TV series yeah. thrown together. And it sounds like from this, I gather it's more of a selection of sketches. They, yeah, they yeah. Great. yeah, it holds yeah. it tries to hold on to a very, very thin plot, which is the whole road movie aspect gives them an opportunity to just go, and now for the next 15 minutes yeah. with this location, this is happening. And now we can forget that because we're moving over to here. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's thin, but enjoyably thin. Uh, so that brings us up to uh, basically the end of the programme, which we always ask the question, what have you been watching? What have you been seeing? What's your neat thing you want to offer the world? Scott? I've been playing the um, Untitled Goose game. I don't know if you're familiar with this. I am not. I've never... I have heard of this. Isn't this very similar to um, a Goat Simulator one? It's got that same kind of like... It's, yeah, but should it's, I be concerned with you not going out and goosing people? Uh, you should be concerned, but for separate reasons. Um, <laughs> it's it's an indie game. Um, I've got it on the Switch. It's kind of taken the internet by storm. It's, it's yeah. become very memeified. I, I don't know if that's a word. It is um, <laughs> You've said it. It is now. It's it's just like shell shaded graphics, like cartoon style. You're a goose, and you employ various sort of stealth tactics and puzzle elements to antagonise the village. Simple as that. So you, you'll go out of your way to work out how to nick some glasses off a woman to run off because you're a goose. <laughs> so I, I, I've not tried that game, but like when someone was telling me about it, they just said like to me, have you, have you ever played Goat Simulator? And I was like, yeah. And it was like, you will love it because it's the same just nonsense. Because yeah. Goat Simulator, you're a goat that licks things and sticks to them and you have to cause as much damage as you can by like, yeah, Lick, licking the swing and then swinging round and flying off and like smashing into buildings and things like that. Absolute nonsense games, but so much fun. Yeah, it's just charming, just charming and fun, and it's it's charmed the internet a bit, and it's uh, which has made me smile. There's a world out there I know nothing about. Andy, what have you got for us? Well, for me, I've got um, a nice tabletop party game that should be ideal for fans of the show. It's called Blockbuster. Keeping the legend alive, that's what we should be the subtitle. Genuinely, they are. The game comes in a VHS case. Fantastic. And, like, the game board, when folded up, looks like a VHS. And the idea behind the game is that four or more players, you split into two teams, 
and one person from each team does a head-to-head to start with where you have like a card flipped over and it'll say films with star in the title and so like the first person will go star wars press the button press the button 15 second ta- ta- countdown starts other one goes star trek presses the button Battle Star Galactica. Oh, I see. Star and is born. Hey, Star can is I have born. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and like that keeps going until someone Battle Beyond the Stars. Oh, I've already played. Could you have Starsky and Hutch? Star- <laughs> <laughs> it sounds great, Andy. Moving on. Yeah. Once they've done that, whoever it was who managed to do the last one before the other one ran, ran out of time gets to draw six cards, which are around like themes of like family film, sci-fi, etc., etc. And they'll have film titles on. And you have to pick three that you want to describe to your team for them to guess and put the other three that you think are going to be hard to do to the other team. And you have to describe them, not by saying anything much about the film, but there's one word. So, for example, if you had Jaws, you could go, shark, quote the film. That's easy. It's got to be a bigger boat. We're going to need a bigger boat, aren't we? (laughs) Or act it out without using any words. Fantastic. So basically charades. How do we find this game, Andy? Where is it? You can find it online at all the usual retailers, Amazon, etc., etc. It's only about 20 quid to buy. It's by a great company from the UK called Big Potato Games, and every one of their party games is well worth buying. People who watch Dragon's Den might remember years ago there was a, a game that came to it called Linky, which was a card game like with questions on. They they got offered a good offer, but they turned it down because they went, no, that's too much of a percentage. We're going to go solo with this. This is what became of them. And they've gone big and they are making great fun party games and they clearly love films making this one. How to keep the blockbuster legend alive. Who would have thought it? Maybe Netflix will have a blockbuster series. <laughs> you even get a blockbuster logo on a stem to go in the centre of the game board as well Fantastic. to make it completely authentic. It's only a few more shopping days till Christmas, so uh, I might I'll just get add that purchased. to my list. Good show. Uh, mine is on Netflix and it's The Chef Show, which is John Favreau's series. Yeah, I've been watching that. It's great fun. It's it's part cookery programme, very reminiscent of his, uh, his fantastic film series, Dinner for Five, mm. which was movie stars and producers and directors, etc., sat around a table having a, a, a great dinner, talking talking about movies, as simple as that. Um, a real insider's look into it. He basically played a chef in the movie, Chef. Mm. The guy who he works with, whose name escapes me at this moment, uh, was the guy who who sent him to chef school to to learn all his moves for that 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 film? They clearly get on. They cook. They interview people. Uh, one I've just seen had uh, Kevin Feige in. Yeah, the, the uh, Tom Holland, uh, the Russo brothers, uh, yeah. uh, Robert Downey Jr. and sat around a the table. There's some great recipes. I'm I'm a bit of a foodie. I, I'm quite interested in cooking. Um, it's something I'm still learning to do. It just filled all the the the, the areas for me. It was filmy. It was foodie. Uh, John Favreau is just a great host for it. Thoroughly enjoy it. It's on Netflix. I don't know how many seasons, but I've just started on it. It's it's a great, easy watch. Chef, incidentally, is a good film as well. Chef's not a bad film at all. And that's it for episode six of The Film File. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. If you want to leave a comment, please do. You can reach us on... Film File UK on Twitter. Please get in touch with us. Drop us a line. uh, Throw some suggestions of other things we can talk about. Saying that, we're done for this week. Thanks to the great projector in the sky for us. So that brings us up. Oh, God. I'm going to sing tomorrow. I have no idea. I think I'll mime the entire way through. <coughs>